Before I get into Scripture, I'd like to uh, revisit a little bit what Charlie was sharing earlier. When I first came here, it was a very strong sense of call. Um, in some ways, it was an experience that I'd not had before. It was much more specific and included things like a vision, which doesn't happen often in my life. Um, and then there was also just a series of events that I couldn't deny what God had placed in my heart. Within a month of being here, I gave uh, a group of our leaders a six-page paper of what I thought we ought to be doing building-wise, and then also pointing to some things of the future, including uh, working with the college, um, changing the format of our service, and changing our name. And uh, they approved it, and then we gave it to the group as a whole. Things kind of blew up in my face. That, that caused a lot of stir. Um, it was kind of the thought of, what right do you have to tell us what to do? And you've been here a month. Uh, legitimate question. Uh, but part of what I think in leadership, um, it, it's still a mystery to me. I don't necessarily feel like I have to lead things. Uh, part of what happens in me is at times there's such a clarity of what needs to be done that it becomes that driving thing for me. I'm not a great motivational leader, more the visionary type person. There's different types of leadership, by the way. And so uh, for me, you know, even like sharing last week principles of leadership, although I've believed those things for many years, there's been an insecurity in me to even speak those things publicly because it's like, well, you just want people to listen to you. And that's, that's wrong on my part, but it's still just one of those personality things. Um, that said, that thing that, that this word cooperative, about six or seven years into this thing, um, my initial goals had been achieved. And so there was a thing in the Lord of, do I stay here? What do you want? You know, what's next? And I, I had two isolated words when I, that came to me in prayer, and one was cooperative and one was entrepreneurialism. And I had no clue how that would apply to church life. That's not standard visionary stuff. You know, you, you, you kind of get normally, well, start working with kids or start doing, you know, ministry, you know. And, and for me to get those two words, I just puzzled on it for a long, long time. And uh, then there came a point uh, where in regard to the idea of cooperative and stuff like that, that I had to go to the elders and say, you know what, during the week I'm preaching this stuff I've always preached, or, or on well, weekends, excuse me, but come during the week, my attention just keeps getting drawn to this arena. And a lot of it had to do with sustainable living and things like that. I'm going, if I'm wrong, you need to tell me because I just uh, I, I can't seem to get my thoughts off of this. And they said, well, we're kind of on that page. Go ahead and pursue it. And so we've just kind of gradually chewed on these things for a number of years. The only other time that I've really sensed a, a challenge in my heart, even in pastoring here, was... A couple years ago, I say a couple, that can be anywhere from two to five or who knows, 
But a couple years ago, I began to say, okay, I have this really young congregation here. Should a man my age still be pastoring it, or is it time to turn it over to someone younger? And um, at that point, I felt like God said, not yet. And so I continued to plod on. Um, that's what we're doing, you know. And, and we, yeah. <laughs> but we just, you know, you have to, in a sense, hold those things lightly before the Lord and just say, your will be done. Guide us, direct us. And I guess, you know, uh, I'm grateful that I can go to a group like the elders and say, what do you think of this? What, you know, am I crazy? Or, you know, is this, is the Lord speaking to our hearts? You know, and so we, we chew on those things and we tr uh, do our best to implement them. And that's, that's how we function, so to speak. Um, that said, I want to go back to numbers and take a look at another principle. Last week we were looking at some of the principles of leadership in there. Uh, numbers 28 and 29, I want to look at the idea of sacrifice. In, in the Old Testament, there are many, many terms associated with sacrifice, at least 15 different types of things. And what you find is that they have numerous words for something that we have one word because we hardly even ever think of that idea or that principle. So when, when you, uh, like when we describe snow, when I call up my family, oh, we got a few inches of powder today. What do you mean powder? And how many inches? Well, for me, that might be four and under, but it, or up to six if it's real light and fluffy, right? You know what I'm talking about. The rest of the world thinks we're crazy. It's six inches of snow, just, you know. And, but we have those kind of terms because it's, it's our setting and, and we see differences or variations. In their setting, they were sacrificing all the time. And so they had numerous terms connected with it. But what I want to walk through this morning in chapters 28 and 29 of Numbers is the frequency of sacrifice that they were making and acknowledge that they were aware of their sin on a daily basis. And they were recognizing a holy God and that they had to somehow have access to him even though they were impure people accessing a pure God. So how, how do you make that bridge? And so on and on these sacrifices were going. And then to, to recognize that from the New Testament understanding that even though this helped them even become more aware of their sin with the law, they really had, it had no power to transform them. They, they still were participant in that. So when the coming of Jesus, one sacrifice for all, and with the sending of the Holy Spirit to transform us, our, our entire being, these were changes in understanding and changes available to us, but things that we should not treat too lightly. So when we walk through this, just note how many sacrifices are going on, and then be grateful of what we have in Christ. And then recognize, too, that with the, the sheer frequency of this, 
is this awareness that, yeah, we're sinful people. But we have a holy God that's made appropriate sacrifice for us. Okay? So in 29, every single day, they would have a sacrifice of two rams, one in the morning, one in the evening. Along with that, they threw in a couple pounds of flour and oil. Okay? So every single day, there's this sacrifice going on. I'm not going to go into the details of this because I want to give you an outline view so you catch, again, this repetition and frequency. So <laughs> even their year was counted different. I, I would love to give you how many per year. They, like, they went by a lunar calendar, and every two or three years they would have a month of a beeb, so it would kind of catch up with things. Just... You know, if it was us, it'd be 365 days, right? Every day, morning and night, the sacrifice going on. Okay, then on a weekly basis, every Sabbath, they'd add another couple rams with four pounds of flour mixed with oil and the daily sacrifices. So, okay, six days you're going with two, seventh day, four, and it just is getting bigger, Right? 52 times a year in, in our thinking. This is an addition. The first of every month, which would be the new moon for them, and going through that lunar cycle, they add more. They add two bowls, six pounds of flour, olive oil with each bowl, two quarts of wine, one full-grown ram, seven-year-old rams, one goat for a sin offering, it's like the uh, 12 days of Christmas, right? Or whatever it is. <laughs> it just keeps adding in. Plus the daily sacrifice. The regular daily sacrifices. So every month, there's this additional. Then you have major feast times. Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread gets extended. You have that week in the spring of the year. Add on two bowls, six pounds of flour, olive oil, two quarts of wine with each bowl, one full-grown ram, seven-year-old rams, one goat for a sin offering, plus the daily regular sacrifices. So, quite a bit, right? Every day, every week, every month, feast time. Then you get into the Feast of Weeks, what we know as Pentecost. And this was a, a, a harvest festival. Wheat would be gathered. And what takes place? Well, two young bulls, six pounds of flour, one full-grown ram, seven rams a year old, one goat, and the regular daily sacrifices. Jump to month seven. They have uh, the uh, Feast of Trumpets, which a trumpet would blast when they saw the moon. Didn't know exactly which day that would be because some days were cloudy, right? So they're, they're, it was set according to the sighting. And uh, there's, there's so much symbolism gets tied with all of these and even Christ's return. But sticking to topic... 
one young bull, one full-grown ram, seven rams a year old, one goat offering, plus the regular daily sacrifices. So we're talking quite a bit, right? Every day, every week, every month, plus festivals, Day of Atonement. Now in this seven month, seventh month, there was still a lot more going on. So on the 10th day of the month is the Day of Atonement. That was their high holy day. When the priests would go into the Holy of Holies and, and uh, you know, a powerful idea of, of approaching God and, and the sacrifice being given. Plus, one young bull, one full-grown ram, seven rams a year old, one goat, and regular daily sacrifice. Okay. From the Day of Atonement, they go to the 15th day of that month, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles. This goes on for eight days. On the first day, they start out with 13 bulls, plus two full-grown rams, 14 rams a year old, one goat, and regular daily sacrifice. Day two, it's 12 of the bulls. Day three, it's 11. Day four, 10. On day seven, it would be seven. Okay? So they, this is the big one. And they're going through all of the sacrifice, plus the daily sacrifices. On the eighth day of that particular festival, then they would offer one bull, one full-grown ram, seven-year-old rams, one goat for a sin offering, and the regular daily sacrifices. If you're walking through this thing every day, every week, every month, festivals all through the year, you are aware that you need to be at peace with God that you are sinful and that there are offerings being made that you might have that bridge so that you can be in contact with the Holy God. That's the setup in the picture of sacrifice that leads us to the work of what Christ has done. That's one of the pictures that we have to grab onto and say, you know what, I may be sinful, in fact, daily I can be aware of my sinfulness. Every month I could evaluate, or every week I could evaluate it. Every month there's still this knowledge that I don't live perfectly. You know what? This wasn't the sum total of their sacrifices. There would be other things like if, if a husband was jealous, they would go and, and, and make a sacrifice. If somebody had wronged another person, they would bring a sacrifice. If somebody said, I would just love God. I want to give an offering. There would be a sacrifice. If you, your first child was born, you would go through a thing of redemption, redeeming, buying back, because God says, every firstborn is mine. After the Passover, remember the firstborn was slain? So God said, all of them are mine. I'll take the Levites as the firstborn out of this tribe, but you need to bring a sacrifice for every firstborn. This would be done for people and animals. People, they didn't sacrifice. Animals, they did. How nice, huh? Appreciate that as a firstborn. Uh, you, you could bring a gift. 
all of that, uh, when they made vows and, and, you know, just different things, much more complexity than what we're used to. But when I walk into these verses in the New Testament, and it says in Romans 6.10, when Christ died, he died for sin once for all, but now he is alive and he lives only for God. There's an acknowledgement that his sacrifice pays the price for my sin today, weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever is there. His power and his cleansing is enough to wipe all of that out. What a beautiful thing, huh? I'd like to read on. Hebrews 7. He offered a sacrifice once for all when he gave himself. Hebrews 10, 14. By his one sacrifice, he is forever set free from sin, the people he brings to God. What an incredible idea. When we walk through this, the Israelites, in some ways, when they're in the wilderness and we see this pattern of sacrifice that they had, and it, you know, it, it didn't flow nonstop until Christ. There were, you know, when they were hauled off into captivity, the law became much more important to them because they couldn't do the daily sacrifice. But this is the, the groundwork, so to speak, to help us understand what's taken place in our lives. And so when they're in the wilderness and they're walking through this day after day, week after week, month after month, festival after festival, individual offerings, there's an awareness. We're wanting peace with God. We're wanting His presence in our lives. We're wanting Him to guide our steps. We're wanting His protection. We're wanting His oversight. And so we come and have access. We acknowledge our sin, but through these sacrifices, we're asking that our sins be forgiven. And so when we come through Christ, we recognize this is what He's done for us. This is what He does. Now, Paul also goes into this further when he says, the law was powerless to keep us from sin. It revealed our sin, but it didn't set us free. The sacrifices just kept going and going and going. But when he addresses it, he says, the Spirit creates in us a new being. The Spirit allows us to walk according to God, how He wants us to walk. He reveals to us the truth that we need to know so we can make right decisions. He transforms our will so that we can actually step into holiness. Now, do we always live pure? No. But what is available to us is the transformation of life. And what, <laughs> I've heard your testimonies enough to know that most of you have had encounters like this where you know you are not the same person that you were. And I can say it unequivocally, I've seen him transform my life in regions that, you know, initially you're not even aware of the sin. You know, they had a sacrifice for unintentional sin. You know, there was an awareness in the hearts that we do things wrong, we don't even know it sometimes, but it still doesn't mean that it isn't sin because God is truth, and He knows what's right, and He has a declaration. 
lot of my unintentional sin has wounded people deeply. It's not as if it doesn't have any impact. So a righteous God that wants his, his creation to function in health, is he pleased with that sin? No. And so his sacrifice went out for the unintentional sin even. The priests would have to bring it so that their lives could be cleansed so that they could minister for the people. Then a sacrifice would be brought for the people. Individuals would say, it's not the whole group's problem, but I have a problem and I need to take care of this. So they walk through this process. What we have in Christ is something that deals with priest, group, individual, all of it. What a beautiful thing that is. What a privilege we have in Him. What an opportunity to have our sins washed away. You know, when we're dealing with the guilt and shame of what we've done, there's an opportunity to come to Him and say again, I need you. I need you to wash this away. Or one day we wake up and we realize, I've been functioning in this filth all of my life. My family did the same. I've been trained in this wretchedness. And we see a facet of our lives, suddenly it, it's light and we're going, oh no. There's forgiveness for that as well. And there's opportunity for transformation. There's opportunity to have His Spirit dwelling in our hearts and we call out and say, what do I need to do? And He speaks. And there's this thing of, I don't even want to do that. And he gives us strength. We get to look back and say, my life's different. What a wonder that is. What a privilege in the Lord. Would you stand with me? We thank you for your scripture that speaks life to us. Now I pray that in this room, those that are carrying sin this morning, wondering whether you would forgive or not, I ask that you help them to see and understand and know in their hearts they are forgiven by you. Thank you for your precious gift that accomplishes that. For those that are looking and saying, I need the Holy Spirit to transform my heart, then we ask for that as well. We want to be like you. We recognize you as holy. We recognize the call to holiness. Thank you for the work of your Son that leads us into that bridge and offers us this opportunity. Amen. we're caught up in repetitive sin that's daily God sets us free sometimes we do the big one <laughs> you know three times a year God sets us free it doesn't matter where we're at with that he's opened the door for us to be at peace with him now all of our sin has a destructive effect it's our own foolishness that doesn't see the impact of it. But uh, God desires to transform us into health.
to set us free from the things that destroy that way. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy complete forgiveness of sin and the ability to enter the presence of the Holy. Thank you, Lord, that you've given that to us. I ask that as each one goes into the community this week, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others, that you'll enable them to carry out the deeds of your kingdom, that you'll gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, we pray. We love you this morning. Amen. God bless you.